Hello and welcome to another edition of the Bash Bros Podcast. My name is Brad Nelson and I'm joined today by my brother from another mother, Corey Baumeister. How's it going, bro? What's up, bro? Oh, man, it is going good. Let me tell you, I have had one of the most relaxing last couple weeks I can just even remember in, in past time. Well, well, are you going to explain why? I am going to explain why. Relaxed? I am, Brad, because I have not had to do any testing for this upcoming championship that I'm not qualified for. Oh, that that sounds like right where you want to be, not qualified for things and (laughs) taking breaks. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's great. I'm I'm just, I don't know what to do with all this time on my hand. Well, (laughs) before we get too far into this, I do want to mention that you can listen to this podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitchers. Also, the Bachelor podcast always comes with a special guest. And we even have even a sadder story about arena tournaments than not even attending them, Corey. Wait, what, what is it? It is our special guest of the week, someone who has participated in all the major arena tournaments and has yet to win a match in any of them. So we thought we had to bring this person in, <laughs> hoping to break the streak. It is none other Wait, than... Alias B is back? No, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, she was commentating. She never played. Oh. <laughs> and and yet, Alias V has a higher win percentage than this person. That's true. <laughs> Our special guest this week is none other than the Mr. Brian Brown doing. How's it going, BBD? I hate you all so very much. If you that's not an suck. intro to get excited about, I don't know what is. You guys suck so much. <laughs> Why did I ever agree to be on this bad cast or whatever it is? I don't know. Well, you are our bro, and we're bashing you, so that's why it's the bash. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It is on topic, right? Like this. This is our subject matter. Um, actually, no. The subject matter for today will involve all four matches Brian has participated in at major arena tournaments <laughs> and discussing why he lost all of them. Let's start with the mythic arena invitation. Oh, we're, we're starting with the arena. We're, we're starting with that one. We're not going to start with me losing with over 50% of my game time being against a Teferi emblem. <laughs> we're not starting with that. We're going to start with the other tournament where yeah. 50% of my game time was losing to, uh, I don't know, Esper Control. Yeah. Was losing to, was losing to Teferi emblems okay cool (laughs) no actually the topic today we are going to be going over the mythic championship five deck list that came out on monday now there's a lot of scrutiny around the the revealing of deck list this early before a tournament a lot of people say that it it ruins excitement and all that stuff and we can talk about that a little bit i personally think that revealing deck list this early is a good thing. It's just that we have not caught up to the info, what we do with the information while we have it. Uh, I just feel like, you know, competitive magic is moving into a new area and coverage and the way that we consume this kind of content needs to catch up. Do you guys agree with that in any way? Yeah, I think everything is basically face up these days, which I, I, I think it's good. You know, I mean, it just gives people more time to digest. People get to immediately play these deck lists and kind of test out and see and talk about it for the whole week leading up to it and really get excited to go for somebody because maybe they have their favorite deck in there, not only their favorite player. What do you think, Uh, Brian? I I kind of disagree. I think um, part of the appeal of a spectator thing is the unexpected happening. Uh, Something cool that you weren't maybe expecting. Like you winning a match? (laughs) 
Ouch, that is just too perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you guys are, I love you both. All right, well, sorry, I'll I'll dish it both ways. Or Brad showing up in Barcelona? Ooh. Hey, hello. (laughs) Or me ever getting to an arena tournament? (laughs) Or or qualifying in the first place? Hello. I made myself sad. Sorry, continue. All right, let me uh, let me try this again, if that's okay with you, Mr. Baumeister. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> also, you're not sorry, you sick You're right. Image. That joke was too worth it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I think like sometimes people part of the joy of watching something is is not feeling like it's scripted. You know, like feeling like the unexpected can happen. That that you're not. Uh, you know, you, you it's not a foregone conclusion. And, and sure, anything can happen in Magic, but when people get lists a week in advance uh, and they get to play all the matchups or play the decks themselves, they start to see, like, oh, this deck's favored against this deck. This deck's favored against here. Like, this is probably the deck that's going to win and so on. Sometimes that's fun. Like, you know, it's fun to, 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 like, you know, make bets with people, not, like, for actual money. That's illegal, and I will call the government on you. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like, like bets like, oh, I think this deck will win. I think that deck will win. But sometimes it's really fun to just sit down, not know what's going to happen, and just experience, like, the glory for yourself. Yeah, I think that's cool as well. But I also think that people are going to come to those conclusions like, oh, this person has the best deck. This is awesome. But we know magic is not about just the person who has the best deck. So then that leads to those exciting moments like, oh, my God, Canister didn't even make, you know, day two with this deck that everyone thinks is awesome or something like that. So I feel like there's narrative that's going to be exciting no matter what happens. So it probably just doesn't matter. realistically. So I do agree. I do agree that magic's not just about who has the best deck. It's about who has the second best deck. Me. (laughs) (laughs) So so uh, I. I kind of agree with parts of what each of you are saying, but I think that is what's existing in the reality that's set forth right now. I mean, to be honest, this is just kind of a shitty setup. The decklist came out on Monday, and the tournament happens four days later, and then three days after that, we might have a new format that gets banned because they said that there's another announcement. And clearly, we know that there's some really strong cards in this format. Mm -hmm. So that situation, isolated, is just bad. It's not going to show what's possible every other time a mythic championship comes around and this year even there was eight major tournaments um and they didn't really line up that well with the set releases so um but this one actually lines up pretty well with the set release this one does but the fact is there's two more mythic championships that are in this format and if there's like and if like you know 24 people showed up with band golos they don't want that to just be their you know, their big tournaments for the rest of the year. Yeah. And honestly, I talked about this a little bit on versus live. Somebody asked a question similar to that. And what wizards is doing by making the, moving this announcement up to this coming Monday, it's just a safety net safety net. They're like, if this viewing experience is terrible, they don't want to be locked into it for the next arena championship. So maybe it'll be exciting. Maybe Golos will wreck the format, but I think what you're describing, Brad, I, I, I think, the problems that we're running into because of this are because of like field of the dead. You know, I mean, if that card didn't exist, I think the format would be a lot healthier and people would be able to play those decks right off of the arena um, uh, championship. But with the deck possibly getting banned or something like that, I agree. It's not that great. 
Sure. I just want to I want to interject for one second and say that I I really hope that Wizards doesn't make a ban decision off of viewership numbers. That I mean, that's such a horrendous metric. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like viewership numbers are probably going to be down because people are expecting Golos to be boring matches where it dominates. Mm-hmm. But you know, like maybe that's not the case. And it, but if they're like, oh, viewership was really down, we have to ban Golos because the viewership was down. Yeah. Even if it's proven that at this tournament Golos is in, is like you know sub fifty percent win rate or something like that, like I, I I don't know I I I have a little bit more faith in them than that, but I can't say it's too much more. So, <laughs> but it is. But I mean, in hindsight, it is a company that has to worry about its viewership, and if its viewership is bad, they are going to have to jump on that. Yeah, but they're very like Watsi is notorious for taking. Uh, taking one event and drawing the wrong conclusions from it. Agreed. Agreed. Like, but... like taking this event and saying viewership is bad, therefore ban Golos. Golos is like maybe like some part percentage of the problem, but it's not the whole problem. Yeah. I mean, you like, got to give them credit though. Like when Red Black Vehicles was dominant, they didn't ban another thing from it. They didn't ban Hazaret or Heart of Kira. But that was right before it rotated, right? Like right. There in- was still a Worlds and a and a couple big events. There was a you know like yeah maybe they. No, should I generally have. <laughs> I, I generally think they do a I generally think they do a good job with the banning stuff. I'm not, that's not even what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say that like it like like the argument that they use like the, the viewership of this tournament to determine uh, yeah. just seems horrible. to but, me. But I mean well, from I've... from their perspective, if they do miss. And like it is bad for viewing experience, and then it's bad again in in Richmond. Then they're gonna feel really stupid, and somebody's going to uh, have to face the consequences of that. You know, that's what I would assume, anyways. But I think well, they should ban it on on power level and format. You know how it, how it's affecting the format, not on whether people are watching the tournament, because whether people are watching the tournament sometimes is re- unrelated to what deck is dominating. You know, it's like like people might not watch this tournament because deckless were due. 10 days before the tournament they're extremely outdated and it's and all the deckless republic information so it loses the excitement maybe yeah. that's the reason that people don't watch and it's, and if they then draw the wrong conclusion that people weren't watching specifically because of golos then and make a decision off it that's stupid like even if it's the right decision it's just for the wrong reasons and i don't like that precedent yeah i completely agree with that um you know viewership might be down and everyone's gonna be like well it must be because these decklists are early it's like no there's just been another uh black hole in what's that game fortnite (laughs) Fortnite, yeah Yeah. (laughs) there's a second black hole everyone's watching the black hole (laughs) and it's field of the dead yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) the black hole of the format field of the dead no we're getting a little off base and i i agree but ultimately i don't even know if that decision that they made they might have already made that decision they usually do make the ban decisions um you know, Quite with a little early. bit more lead in time. So they might have already made their decision. They might have seen Arena and Magic Online data, and they're like, holy crap, this specific card wins this percentage of the time when it comes out on certain times. They have that information. And it does seem like that is a lot of their statistics. Like, whenever I read the article from Ian Duke about when a card actually gets banned, they pull up these statistics from Magic Online and Arena, and they're like, this is just, it's being played X amount, it's winning X amount, it's too much. You know, it, it, you know, those stats are brought up a lot when it comes banning. Exactly. But yeah. we, well, we got away from my main point that I was trying to get to, but this was a very good conversation. What I wanted to say is this Monday announcement really puts a damper on what I'm going to say about early access deck lists. Mm-hmm. Um, and no matter what you want to say about it for the competition, it, it, it 
it you know there's a lot of arguments it it makes things people get to play test and that takes away from a specific subset of skill in magic from just not being able to adapt on the fly it 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 can you know diminish people's want to play some rogue deck because people can prepare for it all of this is true but it all boils down to one specific thing and this and this is a little bit of a rant but i'm writing my article on this and i've already finished this portion of it and i i I really like where I'm at. So I'll throw it up to you guys and see what you think. Having open deck lists for coverage sake is opening, it's like opening Pandora's box when it comes to coverage. Once that happens, a lot of different things, unexpected things happen to a tournament. Once you know that you're going to have each other's deck lists, different things matter when you build your decks. Yeah. And because of that, also, but this opens up a lot of coverage potential. You know, and that I think is just being wasted. It's it's being left on the table. When open deck lists happen at Mythic Championship two and four, I have no idea why that Thursday when we all come in isn't just filled with like a bunch of players deck techs. You know, uh, I just, ooh, this is real awkward. What? Well, that's exactly what they did do at Barcelona. You were not there. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I went in for a deck tech early, and they asked me questions about my deck, and they asked me questions about my older brother not making it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for that. Um, but going back to the truth, they didn't do that. No, they actually no, did they, do that. They did do that. Yeah, I'm not. Jo- this is not a joke. They actually yeah. did that. I was part of it. I was in a line for like an hour with like 15, 20 people waiting to do deck lists. Same deck techs. Do Same. deck techs? Where where did they post these deck techs? Throughout throughout the tournament, throughout the week. I was watching, but there weren't a lot of deck techs. There was a few. I think they just got a bunch of them and then talked about the ones they wanted. They might not have used them all, but yeah. they definitely okay. did. They did. They definitely did like a million deck techs. Okay, so this is seriously a moment where I actually missed out. Yeah, and yeah. now I'm thinking differently. <laughs> well, okay, realistically, but, Brad, you didn't miss out. It was just extra work for no for no payoff or anything that we all had to do. So, <laughs> well, but that's fine. I'm I'm in the MPL. I I should do these things. But with a week lead in time, I feel like after we submitted our decks last Wednesday, they could have had a team. Paul Chien could have built a team to interview us, even if it's over. The internet and it could be just little snippets during the week it's just like brad nelson why did you play bank golos it's yeah. like a 20 second hype video no that would have been you know, awesome like, you know so, frank karsten could have asked us questions and then had that compiled for his article that went out with the metagame breakdown like yeah. i'm just saying that content can catch up with this information world and make interesting content based around this information being visible to everyone yeah especially I, especially sorry bbd i want to make one quick point um, especially like during your guys's MPL splits, like Maria does those videos in between that are just awesome. You know, there's something different. She's talking about a different topic each time. It would be the same if we did it for these arena tournaments, but instead they just replay the same video over and over. So by the end, I hear that line like, wait, 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 Corey, are you saying you know how to shuffle? Yeah. Oh yeah. Do <laughs> you know how to shuffle? Yeah. That or I say how uh, the Duke family mom will always say that no matter what, they're a winner to their mom. You know, I heard that line 100 (laughs) times. (laughs) All right. What were you going to say, Brian? Um, I was just going to say that no matter what, you're a winner, Corey. Oh, <laughs> we all know that's a lie. And now, now I've just been one-upped by Reed Duke's mom. It's horrible. 
Uh, uh, not enough that Reed has to beat me at everything. Now his mom is getting in on the action too. It's just horrible. <laughs> it's a family. The whole family is out to get me. That's just Reed Duke beats you on the battlefield. His mom beats you to the punch. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Um. So what I was actually going to say is I I agree with you completely, Brad. That they are not utilizing their new uh dynamic or not dynamics the right word whatever it is. Uh, they're not utilizing the new uh, system like they could be utilizing it. With that being said, I still believe that uh, that doesn't really mean they need to release decklist on you know five days before the tournament, or that they need to make decklist do ten days before the tournament. For example, they could make decklist do five days before the tournament, interview people over the next two days, and then release decklist the morning of the event or the night before the event or something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the timeline doesn't need to be as spread as it is now. I agree though if they're going to do this like open deckless thing, like they you, there's so many more ways they can u- utilize it. Even in coverage itself, commentators should be talking about the fact he knows that his opponent has one copy of Veil of Summer and he's thinking to himself right now, is he going to get blown out by it? Yeah. And of course the answer is yes. You know like that kind of stuff, like play into that, I think. So I want to, oh, I want to sure. be devil's advocate a little bit here because I've been seeing this the last few days already on Twitter. Is is do you guys think there's any benefit to when decklists get released this early? I start to see streamers say like, "Hey, I did six zero with Canisters Green Blacklist, and I but I went seven one with Ken Yukihiro's um, Mardu Knights list." Do you think it's any value that people get hyped by seeing these decks in action beforehand? And then when the Mythic Championships come, they get to see them by the creator. Um, so that kind of builds hype via streamers that just want to try out these new fun decks. Well, I think that there is so much information that can be ex- ex- extracted from these events for people that want to get better at magic. Mm-hmm. You get deckless early, you can play with them, then you can watch these people play them see how they play it differently than you and compare. And you've already had a frame of reference for this. Yeah. Like I said, the whole banning on Monday makes things awkward because then this information people are gathering this time around isn't going to correlate to the new Mythic Championship qualifiers that are happening in a couple of weeks and, and stuff like that. But yes, I think that um, people that want to get better at magic, this is, this is huge. Yeah. So yeah, I I I don't think we're on the same page on this one because I I do think it is huge for people who want to get better at Magic, but I do not think that has any correlation to viewership numbers for this tournament at all. Like, if somebody sees all the deck lists and they're like, oh cool, and they want to try out different decks, I do not think that that increases their likelihood to watch this tournament. If anything, I think it decreases it. They'd rather watch somebody streaming the specific deck they care about than streaming a tournament where they may never see that deck on camera yeah um i i think i think yeah it's huge it's huge for people um who want to play magic and it's huge for magic players in general to get all these lists you know it's like it's like christmas for for people who want to try out decks and all this other stuff streamers testing for, yeah. yeah people are testing for tournaments so so on and so forth uh but I, I i think it takes away from viewership from the tournament rather than add to it okay i like that i like that you guys both had kind of a split opinions in a way on that. It, it it brings up a lot of questions that I just don't think there's answers for, except I think we can all agree on one thing, that they're not utilizing uh, the coverage that they want to be. Or that they should yeah, be, yeah. I, should, I should say. Yeah, I think coverage needs to catch up to the new world because yeah. like we as players have had to catch up to a new world. Every tournament I've played this year is perfect information. Yeah. 
you know, every tournament. I played, you know, Fandom and Twitch Rivals and E-League and then all of the Mythic Championships, my splits. It's all perfect information magic. It's it's changed the way I build and view view decks. Like it's going to be played one tournament that wasn't perfect information. <laughs> Mythic Championship one. Yes, that is true. Yeah, we did play one. And I, but other than that, every of every single match of Magic I've played competitively this year has been perfect information. Well, Bar- Barcelona was not perfect information, to be fair. The side, the, oh, the sideburns the side, weren't exact you'll get numbers. numbers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, but but you but to the most part, these, yeah. these things are real. of course, of course. Huh. My opponents thought I was playing four Leyline of the Void. I was only playing three. Well, I mean, <laughs> honestly, that did add a different level of the way that people had to prepare for their decks because a lot of people just played like one of Leyline, one of this because their opponents thought they had a bunch yeah, of Yeah, but we're getting way out. off base about what, what we're trying to accomplish sure, today. Sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, we are we are like out in the boonies. We're <laughs> like 0-2 in a Mythic Invitational, 0-2 in a Mythic. Championship Whoa, don't talk arena. about BBD's record, okay, Brad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're not that far off the beaten path all yet. Right. All right. So, so anyway, now we're going to actually get into it. Um, these decklists did come out Monday. We've cataloged a lot of interesting things about them. Um, real quick, I'm just going to go through the metagame breakdown, which was 24 copies of Bant Golo. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, five variants of Golos Fires. But then there were 11 Simic ramp decks, 8 Bant ramp decks. Um, they can be categorized by different things, but 3 color decks with Nyssa. Um, Golgari Adventure had 6 copies. Selesny Adventure had 3. Gruel Agro came in at 4, which is a little lower than I thought it was going to. Martyr Knights at 3, which is way higher than I thought it was yeah. going to. I'm surprised about the Gruel numbers, to be honest. I think that deck is not good. Um, Ooh, I think it is good. Okay. And then Jun Midrange... Mono Red Cavalcade, Racto Sacrifice, and Jeskai Fires all came in at a single copy. Okay. So this is this is uh these numbers really reflect what we saw at Mythic Championship Three, the last arena tournament. You know, you just replace you like, you know, Esper Control had a lot of people playing it. Then there was a variant, you know, of Esper Hero, mm-hmm. which was like Golos Fires, and I mean we don't have to go down that beaten path, but but it is Golos, I mean realistically like forty percent Golos, right? Something like that. Sixty-eight. Hey, the, the, there's one beaten path that I that I would like uh, for us to go down. It's the path where I am beating somebody <laughs> in this tournament. <laughs> well, BBD, we're not a fictional podcast, okay? Okay. Yeah, this, realize... this ain't fake news, Brian. <laughs> All right. I did not. You know, I thought this was historical fiction. I didn't realize. Okay. I, I, I'm on the wrong cast. I'm sorry. I thought this, oh, yeah. was, I thought this was brothers who bash. You I thought it realize. was the brothers that the bash. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was the brothers who don't get bashed every round, but as wrong cast. Wrong cast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's let's kick things off with our deck decision. So, for those of you at home, you know, um this tournament we registered for this tournament what, 15 days after the set came out. Mm-hmm. We only had around roughly 2 weeks to prepare. Um I personally picked up Simic Ramp right away. Played that in the first day fandom. Then I quickly moved over to Golgari Adventure decks until Brian Gottlieb uh, won the next Fandom Legends that Sunday with Golos. And I'm truth truth be told, I did dabble in a few other strategies here and there, but I was playing Golos variants from then on until I registered. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, uh, just invalidating Simic Ramp strategies immediately with Golos, at least what I thought. I mean, we see a lot of Simic Ramp, but 
they are heavily geared to beat Golos, but it makes sense that you got off Simic Ramp, even though I thought that tech was awesome for week one. Excuse me, Simic Food, Corey. Oh. Yeah, it's called Simic Food. Sorry, Simic Oko Loco, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, they call it Simic Food because Golos eats it. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't, you, don't you mean Elk eats it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never have a Golos, I just always have an Elk. Yeah, you just have an Elk, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but but I love that Teferi magic that time wipe it 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 re it it turns it back into a Golos I love it does, that. it does do that yeah yeah you go back in time and now you have a Golos but honestly I wanna I wanna ask you guys about your list I know you guys have a little bit of differences in your lands like BBD what you're playing thirty lands Brad you're playing twenty nine but you guys both landed on uh, one Realm Cloak and two time wipe huh what what's the reason behind that. Uh, well, the, I'd say the reason is that Time Wipe is massively, massively better, but you can find Realm Cloaked off of uh, Once Upon a Time, so that's why we went with the split. Uh, but if it wasn't for the fact that you could find a Wrath off of your zero mana Ancient Stirrings... You would play three Time Wipe? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, God. Yeah. oh, yeah. I mean, the reason that you play one Realm Coke, and I just like options, and so because, I'm, because I've, I personally believe that the deck should play four Once Upon a Time... Um, for many different reasons. I don't want that anytime I draw one of these four ofs that I have a 0% chance to get a, a sweeper if I want one. Sure. And I understand that the odds are low and you could increase those odds by playing more Realm Cloak Giants, but it just doesn't make sense to me that like I can just play a C5 <laughs> and lose out on that option. Okay. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's important. Sometimes you find it and you, you craft your, your game plan around it. And... It's not the most important thing. It's not the most vital thing, but it's just to me it makes it makes a lot of logic to to do that. It just, okay. just you play you play to outs that you can pause. You know, magic is a game of playing to your outs, and this creates an out. Okay, I like it. Also, you're also you're like like the one thing about this deck too is we're playing uh, a lot of ways to draw cards, or or like we're playing a lot of cards that take cards out of our deck reducing our deck size and we play cards like hydroid crisis that draws a ton of cards really easy to find one ofs yeah um now i i actually this is kind of one of those one ofs that you don't generally want to find because your opponent might have like a bone crusher giant or something but uh yeah like there, there are times where having access to, to find it's pretty nice yeah uh generally speaking you'd rather just naturally draw a time wipe though so outside of that i think uh your guys's list looks pretty stock except you guys did go with uh, Kenrith the Return King, which I think is just kind of becoming stock, and it's really good to have a one of. Some some teams even had a second one in. But the thing that is kind of craziest to me is the numbers between three Hydroid Crisis and two Agent of Treacheries. Can you guys explain the reasoning to not have four Crisis and why to have Agents in the main? Yeah, I mean, I'll take this one. We did want the fourth Hydroid Crisis because it's really good in certain matchups. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just a nice card to have when you have all this ramp and Arboreal Grazers in your deck. But ultimately, you you can't make. I, I just didn't think you could play more than you know the four Golos, the the Kenrith, three Hydrocrisis, and two Agents. I felt like you know we're that's already close to the max amount of big heavy stuff you can put in your deck, mm -hmm. and you have to cut something to make room for it. And so I I just thought that it's very important to have Agent of Treachery in your main deck, and because it's so vital for mirror matches. And while I do think that our deck is slightly weaker game one in mirrors, just because we only have two Teferi, so we have less agent, you know, Teferi stuff, I, I just found, and maybe we're playing against, you know, not enough, you know, 
maybe things will change and our opinions will change once we get there because we're not playing against MPL level players uh, in a lot of our testing because we did play some mirrors, but like we played, a, we learned a lot from the the latter that if you just have a Kenrith in your deck, the agent and Teferi stuff can go on for a very long time and you could even be behind because of that. But just one time wipe into a Kenrith, into an animated Golos, into an attack or a Beanstalk Giant or something can just win the game. Yeah. No, Kenrith and, is kind of that cheese card I noticed that it's just, it's so good and it steals games you have no business winning. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, refuse to play without Kenrith. I, I think I was the first one who started testing with it and I just, Brad can attest that like about, you know, once every 12 hours I would make a post about how effed up Kenrith was. Yeah. And how oh, yeah. I, my, my stories of games I was winning with Kenrith were becoming increasingly more absurd to the point where the last one was my opponent had agented all my fields and gotten all their fields in play. They had eight fields in I play. I saw that picture, yeah. And then <laughs> I still won with Kenrith, found a way. So, Look, it's, it, got, it got so ridiculous, bro, that I'm starting to make up ridiculous scenarios that I'm just waiting to hear from Brian. It's like, all right, so I'm, I'm playing against Canister. It's game two. I accidentally, I don't even know why I'm so stupid, I boarded out my Kenrith, right? But... There's this key turn. I had 17 lands and I went, or I had 18 lands and I went, Agent, your Vivian, ultimate, ultimate <laughs> go get my Kenrith, Kenrith, get back a Golos, <laughs> get a second fill of the dead, which gives me exactly enough zombies oh my to God. kill him. If that happens, I will be so satisfied. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, it's, it's things like that that I'm anticipating from this man because he will come up with, he'll come up from his basement when I allow him to. <laughs> of course. And... And he will tell me the most ridiculous Kenra story. And there are ridiculous. Like, and I've done ridiculous things with the card too. But that's what I, like, Paulo and the the Paulo team, and we'll get to that later, played two Kenrith main. And I kind of felt like it's kind of overkill against a field of mirrors and Oko. Like, yes, the card is very good in the mirror, but it's it's not always lethal. But it's something you can always set up to be lethal. Sure. Oh, so, BBD, I got a question for you. It's always lethal. Would you yeah. say that Kenrith might be the returned wins for you in mythic championships well you can't return to something if it never was there in the first place <laughs> touche touche yeah, yeah. <laughs> no I, I really do like your guys's list um i think it looks really tacked i mean even the tolls mirror on the board to uh you know combat the aggressive red decks which i'm sur sure you guys were expecting that people were gonna think is good against golos which i still don't know if that's true um um no, I think I th I actually really like the list that we played. I I have one massive regret though. Yeah. Which we which like we were just talking about before. I I seriously regret not playing four Hydroid Crisis. Yeah. I wanted to get the fourth into my deck on the last day. I tested almost exclusively with four Crisis, mm -hmm. and I'm playing thirty lands. I'm playing the most lands of anyone in this tournament, and I have four Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Like, I wanted that fourth crisis. I just did not know, not know how to make room for it. And in hindsight, I wish I had just cut one of my wraths for a fourth crisis. What about what about cutting a land, like, down to 29 for a crisis? Whoa! Oh, no. <laughs> Brian, Brian was not about about that. He even, like, he almost blew up when he saw somebody register 27 lands. Somebody registered 27 lands in Golos. I'm playing 30. <laughs> I considered... At one point in time, I was yelling at Brad and Seth that we needed a 31st land. Yeah. They wouldn't even play the 30th, but... Yeah. 
<laughs> so when we when we talked in our Golos episode where we said that you go to jail if you play 28, are you like in solitary confinement if you go to 27? Or <laughs> I think it's just death row. I think it's just straight. Like they're just reinstituting the death penalty specifically. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's it's, it's dark. Oh, I'm just waiting for, I don't know who is playing 27 lands. They've already been removed from the tournament. Yeah, they're, they're no longer remember. part of the event. Here, I'll, I'll figure it out. All right, it is Patrick uh, Fernandez, and I just can't wait until Brian's eliminated from the event. Patrick is playing for top eight, and Patrick just keeps a two-lander with a gross spiral and just plays route on turn three, and Brian's like, ow, how is that possible? Why? This is this is just cosmic injustice. Oh, I'm, like, yeah. I'm, like keeping, I'm like keeping four landers with... I'm keeping like a four lander with growth spiral circuitous route with my 30 land deck. And I'm like missing on land seven for agent of treachery on turn, on turn four, because you know, I never drew a land or whatever. Wah, all like, draws gas. Wah. It's not gas though. Half the deck is ass. If you don't draw lands. That is very true. I have found that that is just complete. Honestly, I, I want to draw a land almost every draw step of every single game until like turn 10. And I'm not even joking. No, that's fair. That's why I played. That's why I played 30 lands. Like, I don't think it's ridiculous. I mean, people make fun. People will make fun of me if I scrub out again, mm-hmm. but like, so I guess yeah. uh, outside of that, like, I love your guys. Main deck. We touched on everything there. I I'd just be curious. Your guys reasoning on mystic dispute, veil and deputy. Those are the only cards to me that seem like, you know, I don't know exactly what they're for. Like veil to me was just, Kind of meh. Um, Mystic Dispute, I'd never had on the sideboard. And Deputy, I get for the mirrors, I guess. But I'm not well, sure. Well, Deputy can be used in a lot of different situations. I don't want to even, like, out ourselves for when we're going to board it in or out. Sure. Because listens to this. Sure. But it's just clear, like... So, I just like... Mystical Dispute is just a very good magic card. Okay. And, it, you know, it can counter Golos for one mana. It can counter Hydroid Crisis. Whoa. It can do what? They're not Golos. Yeah, I was uh, going to okay. say, did I not read this okay. card? It can no. counter things for wow. one mana. Oh, okay. No wonder why Brad really was yeah. demanding that we put this card in our sideboard, <laughs> and I was a little skeptical about it. Jeez. Yeah. Man's been countering Golos for one. <laughs> it can counter It can counter Oko and, and Hydroid Crisis for just one mana. Even in a draw-go game against these like decks that are going to hold up counter magic, you can counter for three mana, and it's not that bad. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, these cards, I wanted to play Vale and... And this because I just thought that the green retaliation part of that was going to be with counter spells, and they also could have Ashiok. So, like Mystical Dispute is very good in these matchups. Like just having access also it it stops like Deputy of Detention if they don't have Teferi on play too. So having a, a spread of these one mana interactive cards is the way that you want to interact with these decks because you kind of have to go toe to toe with power with them. But if they ever get a Nissa down and you can't play, you can't resolve your next spell. Mm-hmm. That's almost game over. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense so, to me. Yeah, the play pattern of Nissa untap breeding pool counter something was just something we were seeing the trend moving towards, not just from our own personal testing team. Like when when they were working on that deck, which I was also teetering on playing, we were also seeing players like Javier Dominguez and Shouta uh, on the ladder playing these same decks. Okay. Um, these these ramp into the sample strokes. That same day that, you know, I saw Andrew Cunio, when he like built this deck, um, he's like, "Oh, I'm playing this main." I'm like, "I just lost to this on the ladder. Like, I just played someone that just disdainful struck me game one." Yeah, yeah. And so we were starting to see that as a trend, and we were seeing MPL players playing these kind of strategies. So we thought more were going to show up with it. And in fact, like 
I actually thought when I saw these Bantex, I was just expecting a Counterspell main, but they found a way to try to leverage Deputy of Detention, I guess. And, you know, we're testing these matchups before the tournament to make sure they're good. Um, but that's one of the reasons why I really wanted two Veils and two Mystics, because they, they are good in different matchups for different reasons. Um, okay. But combined, they're very good against these, like, blue-green or Bant, Simic or Bant-related decks, that the way that they attack you, because it's the only way they can attack you. Okay, yeah. well, let's make that pivot here then and talk about the deck that the rest of our team ended up playing in the form of Kai Bude, Reed Duke, Kunio, Jensen, Nasif, Shahar Shenhar all played not one, not two, not even three, but four disdainful strokes in the main deck in their Simic Ramp decks. Like, what, what made you guys not want to play that? Because to me, this deck looks sweet. I mean, everything out of Golos is a format of spell that you can uh, interact with with Disdainful Stroke. And that Nissa tick up on a Breeding Pool play just just gets me so happy. So I'll tell you for myself, like I, I've been testing Golos for a long time and I was crushing with the deck. And I thought Golos was the best deck, but then people are like, you know, there's rumors like this deck beats Golos. And I would like test against it and I'd beat it with Golos. And they'd be like, all right, well, this other deck beats Golos. And I'd test against it and I'd be like going 50-50 or, or beating it with Golos. And I just, like, nothing, I, I was not finding anything that was consistently beating Golos, even ones that were supposed to. And the Simic deck was another one of those decks where it was, like, we was like, oh, we have four Disdainful Strokes main, like, we're, we're beating Golos. And I sat down for a session against Seth Manfield and beat him eight games in a row. Wow. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, well, I mean, obviously that's, like, skewed. You know, yeah, there's, yeah. there's variance. It's small sample size. Like, you can't go off of just that. But um, I had also played another session against Brad. Um, and Brad and I were basically going 50-50 uh, as well, and I was like, yeah, this matchup's not that bad. In fact, it didn't even feel very good when I was playing the Simic side. Uh, so do you guys so, think yeah. that some of the team's mentality was skewed by the fact that people are just so burnt out of Golos that they're like, I'm going to play literally anything else um, just to not have to play Golos at it? Or do you guys think people just didn't come to the conclusion that you guys did that Golos is the quote-unquote best deck? I think it's I think it's two things. I think number one, it's it's they didn't play enough with Golos to master the deck enough to believe how good it was. Okay. And then secondly, fear, um, just fear that somebody will figure break the crack the code on beating Golos, and then they're stuck playing the deck that everyone figured out how to beat. Okay. So, I don't know, Brad, if you agree or disagree. Well, so there's so yeah, I think the way that I saw it is, um, there it, it, it it's reasonable logic. So there's part of it is I just believe that there are teammates of ours. And yes, we teamed with a lot of people. We didn't know what to do. And we just like, all of us have been working together for a long time. We just keep kind of accumulating more people qualified for arena mythic championships. So we're just like, you know, we're just going to all test together. And it worked pretty well for me because we did explore a lot of stuff in a short period of amount of time. But a lot of the teammates just didn't seem like they wanted to play Golos. Yeah. They weren't testing it much. They were always trying to build anti-Golos decks. And so when it came around time to test decks against Golos, a lot of times when they would play it, I felt like the testing was a little skewed because they were doing things with the Golos deck that we then found out we wouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. Like taking Agent out or bringing Agent in or, or you know, taking Wraths out or bringing Wraths in. You know, like, like all of these like decisions that they made, we were making the opposite decisions and our results were different. Mm -hmm. Or... Sorry to interrupt, but like, or another thing that happened too was uh, we would we would test a session and we get destroyed by a deck, 
And then we would be like, okay, well, we should adjust our Golos deck to be able to compete in this matchup, and then we wouldn't retest after that. Okay. Yes. And so then our, our decks were getting better and evolving as the time went, and a lot of that sample stuff was different. But I will say, in theory, so so we didn't know what the metagame was going to look like. Obviously, the people that pick Simic Food, you know, they're crushing these red and black aggro decks and all of these strategies. They, they're, they're pretty good against a lot of the aggressive strategies. And they're, in their mind, even if they thought they were slight dog to Golos Mirrors, guess what? We're effectively 50-50 in Golos Mirrors, or if people come super teched out, we're a little behind. Yeah. And so even if they're slightly behind there, if all of their other matchups um, against the rest of the field are better than Golos, then mathematically, that's probably the correct choice. You know, if you're 46% against Golos, but you're a favorite against every other non-Golos deck, and the, ultimately, everyone didn't have enough testing time, and everyone thinks that their decks do things that they do or don't, like even us included. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there's not, I don't think there's a single team or group, no matter how highly you respect them going into this tournament, that, that has enough data against the decks that'll actually show up in the way that they're built to, to be correct in all of their assessments. I mean, yeah. like, it's it can't be right that everyone that picked Golos is like this is such a good deck I don't think anything destroys it and everyone else is like my deck is good against Golos yeah right it's just not everyone can be correct so yeah. but that's that that was their you know that's a plan and and I like that plan from this deck because it is true Oko like a lot of people I've been seeing I I don't remember who posted it but it, they hit the the nail on the head is saying that all fill the dead Golos decks is doing is just is showing us is keeping it kind of silent how disgusting Oko actually is. Yeah, I think that was Andrew Cunio. Yeah, it was Andrew Cunio. Yeah. On Twitter was saying that, yeah. And that's just the truth. Oko, Thief of Crowns, is a disgusting magic card. And now the strategy of not being able to interact with Phil of the Dead in a meaningful way is very similar to things we've seen with Delirium or, or Energy. Things get broken when you can't interact with them because that thing can just repivot and play cards that interact Magic's all about card advantage interaction, and Phil of the Dead can't be interacted with and creates card advantage. Yeah. And so that's just a big thing about Magic. But Oko, Oko is just degenerately good. And, um, I, and along with how good Nyssa is with, with Hydroid Crisis and the Man Acceleration, like, like Simic's biggest problem before um, Throne of Drain came out was interaction. Now there are just flush with interaction but to be fair i mean like your opponent can just go oko make a food and you're like okay untap murderous rider and sure they have a food big big deal you know so it's not like well that is that is very true but black you not everyone can just play black removal to beat this deck because of the stupid veil of summers that you get to play yeah true true that's not that's that's not a strat that veil of some i think that veil of summer and the 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 ceratops are just too good to give to green i I just do i think Mm -hmm. that they are both just too powerful of cards um and this is just talking this is just talking about standard too in the eternal formats veil of summer is just insane yeah i think veil of summer is the reason why storm is arguably the best second legacy right now i i can't think of any other reason why it went from being a solid you know tier two deck to just being like obscenely disgusting other than veil of summer just punishing people trying to beat the deck exactly all these how do you beat storm thoughts yeah yeah how do you how do you beat storm thoughtseize and fluster storm yeah it's like all right here's veil of summer like 
get after. Exactly. I um, agree with you, BBD. That's disturbing. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Oh, that sounds gross. Yeah. And yeah, I want to I want to make uh one point too about what Corey said about Murderous Rider too. Even outside of Veil of Summer, presenting threats is just always better than presenting answers. Because like, what if it doesn't line up? You know, like the Oko is always going to be proactively good. The Murderous Rider is not always going to be uh you know just as good. Mm-hmm. And you're not always going to have it when they have the Oko. And then if the rest of your deck struggles against Oko. Well, then, like, you know, things always have to line up when you're playing the reactive deck. Yeah. When you're playing a proactive deck, you don't have to line things up. You just have to draw your insanely good cards. But, I mean, any proactive deck with Questing Beast, you know, has a decent game against it. But I know Questing Beast doesn't kill it on the spot. Uh, and then it turns it into an elk. But I'm saying, what I the point I'm trying to make is that Oko is manageable. Field of the Dead right now is not because we don't have Field of Ruined uh, any additional ways to like destroy land. I, mean, I think you're going to eat those words. If, yeah. if I had to make a guess, I would honestly guess that Field of the Dead is going to get banned on Monday and Elko will eventually get banned. I honestly believe it will. Yeah, no, I believe that. And honestly, Field of the Dead is the only thing that's keeping Elko somewhat in check. If, if this goes away, we're once again, if, if Field of the Dead goes away, we're once again going to see... Um, the metagame will still be dominated by forests, in my opinion. There'll be decks that play Oko, and there'll be decks that are heavily skewed to beat Oko. And like Esper Hero, like not like Esper Hero, like Green Black Adventures. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's a deck that can interact with Oko pretty well because it has Questing Beast and Murderous Rider. But don't you mean don't you mean Bant Hero with Oko? Come on, get the hell out <laughs> of here! Yeah, but Questing Beast is not going to see as much play once Golos is gone. I disagree for sure. It's not that good of a card. It really is. I mean, if you can ever give that card trample, like <laughs> Teamer, Super Friends, giving it trample with Royal Scions, or Golgari Adventures, uh, giving it uh, trample with Vivian, is insanely hard to uh, deal with in combat. Or Domri fighting with it, or... I, I, I do I do think that Questing Beast is, is actually incredibly powerful, but yeah. it, it's certainly on a lower tier of power than, like, Field of the Dead Oak. Yeah, also, also, yeah. Corey, also, don't you remember, like... <laughs> Like, we all were just, like, blown away by how good Wicked Wolf was until until Bant Golos came around and invalidated the card, so then everyone started playing Questing Beast. Yeah. Like, w- Wicked Wolf, w- w- Wicked Wolf, Oko, Gilded Goose strategies are just going to go back to be number one ultimately. You know, like, oh. they're so good. I mean, I will not argue with you that Wicked Wolf is indeed better at answering Questing Beast, but I think against the general metagame, like, what we're going to see... If, we don't know what the metagame's going to be. But here's what... Yeah. That's the point I'm trying to make, is if the metagame shifts away from Field of the Dead, control options open up against, open up again, and Wicked Wolf is going to be horrendous against those decks, you know? Is it? All right. Is it survives all sweepers? I don't think it's that bad. Yeah. But anyway, like, we're, we're, we're off on a tangent. Agreed, agreed. Um, let's continue on the decks here. What, what's the next one we got on our deck? Let's, let's talk about your beloved Golgari Adventure. Oh, now, this is a deck God. that... That Peter Gogowski, Ralph Levy, Luis Avado, and Matias Leverano. Oh. Can I make? Can I make one? Sorry, I want to go back to make one statement that I wanted to make like ten minutes oh, ago. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's okay. Uh, I just wanted to. So we were talking about the logic for why you would choose Simic, and the logic was even though it's behind against Golos, it might be better than Golos against everything else, and therefore worth playing. I want to explain why I didn't follow that logic myself. And there's and there's two main reasons. Number one is I think we were underselling how good Golos is against yeah. other decks too. So that's the first thing is I felt like our testing results were skewed. We were testing new decks built to beat Golos against Golos that hadn't adapted. 
and we were we were treating those res- and Golos where we didn't know how to play or sideboard Golos, and we were treating that as fa- as factual like evidence instead of something that we needed to revisit. And the second one is I think there is massive value in a tournament where you don't know what's going to happen. Like we don't know what decks people are going to uh, bring to the tournament, and just playing a deck that is better. Like just playing a deck that has a higher power level, and Golos is just the most powerful deck in standard. And so when it comes time to like, if I have to make a decision between two decks, I'm going to err on picking the deck that's just the more powerful deck raw power wise. Like I'll always choose raw power in spots like this because more often than not, it wins out. I mean, that's very interesting because like what you're saying is actually a really cool topic. So I kind of want to explore it a little bit. We're going to, we're going to rush through some decks and some interesting things here, everyone. But this, this is the kind of stuff that kind of like, you know, gets me excited about magic is these kind of theories so let's just look at a mythic championship or yeah mythic championship on arena the tournament has a very very high ceiling but it is it is i mean i'm pretty uh, sure it's the same height as normal buildings that we plan for mythic championships (laughs) thank you Corey. thank you so much Um, actually uh Corey, it's open it's it's play it's an open air tournament the sky's the limit oh oh, so it's a very top heavy tournament though so if you finish in <laughs> between 17th and 68th, um, you, or no, it's 24th through 68th. You get nothing. Good you day, get, sir. You get, you get min prize, everyone else's prize. Then between 17th and 24th, you get a arena points jump of six points and a little bit more money, I think, maybe not. Uh, um, I mean, to, up, there's only a pay cut at 28th place and... That's or that's what you make for day two. That's the pay cut to twelve five, and it's seven five for anybody who doesn't make day two. Yeah, so then you get a jump for twenty eighth, um, and then there's another jump at sixteenth. But ultimately, very few people are going to get a substantial amount of points relative to the rest of the points everyone else is getting. And for me, as a myth, an MPL member trying to stay in the MPL, this you know I take into account how top heavy the tournament is and how how much I have to spike it. Right. Sure. And um, ultimately, like, there's a, there's a flawed theory of you should take a high risk to get a high reward. But, but what is the risk? It, is it riskier to play Simic Food or Bant Golos? You know, like, th- like, that kind of stuff was really waffling on me. I thought, I thought playing Bant Golos had a higher ceiling and a higher floor than playing Simic Food. Yeah, I would assume yeah. that Simic Food would be the higher risk because... If if literally everybody came with Golos, you're disadvantaged. That would be what I would yeah, think. But. but well, I think it is a higher risk, but with less reward. It's not higher reward than playing the best deck, in my opinion. Because what met you need a very specific metagame to show up with Simic Food. You yeah. need a you need people to be playing mill decks against Bant Golos, you know, so you can curve them out and you're and use your counter spells well. You need no. You, you just need, need people... a, you just need aggro decks, right? Like Simic Food demolishes these like you know Gruel or Mono Red decks, and if everybody showed up with those decks that they think counter Golos, I think that's where Simic Food eats up on the competition. I'm actually yeah, not there's... even sure that's. I actually don't know that Simic Food destroys uh, Gruel. I, I I have to. I would have to see that for myself. Yeah, I would have to see that matchup myself. But I mean, I, I think it, well, I think it beats the crap out of like Red and Red Black. I would just whatever, assume Wicked yeah. Wolf fighting Questing Beast and fighting all these creatures that <laughs> it kills would be. I always feel Simic Ramp when my Wicked Wolves are good. I have a good matchup. That's just how I feel. Yeah, I just think Skargan Hellkite plus El- Embercleave or whatever can still just yeah. 
And I mean that's a that's a product of Golos though. I mean these Gruul decks were were much more low to the ground, like literally creatures on the ground until Golos. There was just no way to win except by playing Questing Beast, Skargan, Hellkite, and Embercleave that go over the top of it. And I think in turn that makes the Simic ramp matchup a little bit better uh, for the Gruul decks. Yeah, but so that but that's what I'm saying. You needed specific decks to show up that you didn't know if they were going to show up. And at the same time, like data kind of proved that like it was up in the air, even from our team, which deck was better, Bankalos or Simic Food in that matchup itself. Um, and so, you know, while, you know, taking a look at the tournament and looking at like the prize payout and points jumps and all that stuff, I, you know, I I bad logic would have led me down the Simic Food, but just the sheer power, like Brian said, of Bancolos, it's like, you know what, every once in a while, it takes a lot of courage, in my opinion. It takes either no testing or a lot of courage to spin the wheel, go around the format, test for weeks, and still just show up with the deck that everyone is targeting and everyone's going to show up with because it's hard to make the decision. And 10 years ago, I wouldn't make that decision. I would always play the rogue deck. I'd always play the other deck. But now I'm just kind of like, beat me. These decks are the best. Thousands of people play these matches. Mm-hmm. I've I've put a lot of time into this. I've worked on this deck. We've tuned it. And I feel pretty confident in these matchups where people say that they're favored. And yes, they might be slightly favored, but Bankolos is not a negative percentage against all of these decks, especially since I get to see them and I built my deck knowing that I have perfect information, knowing that I'm going to want to pivot, I'm going to want to move, I'm going to I'm going to see their deck list and I'm going to, you know, like I built my deck knowing that I'll have perfect information. We built we built our sideboard to have access to very expensive, powerful uh, cards and also low to the ground cheap cards, and it gives us the choice to when we know what we're, our matchup is, we have the option. Um, like like let's say someone's plan against Golos is to get under Golos. Well, we have the we have the cheap interaction to to shut that down. Mm-hmm. Let's say their plan is to go over Golos then we can play our Golos deck bigger, and it's really hard to go over Golos that's, like, built big. Yeah. So it's like, we, we have the, we built our, specifically built our Bant Golos deck to be flexible, to handle the ability to see deck lists and adapt to them. Yeah. No, and I mean, I like your guys' list, and I like your guys' logic. Um, I think, uh, I, I do think there's decks out there that definitely can compete, and, you know, the next deck we're going to talk about I, uh, I I really do think has a great position in the metagame, but if I were choosing between the decks that I would have known about, aka the Simic deck and uh, your guys' Golos deck, I would have leaned on the side and, and the logic that you guys are giving right now. Yeah, but yeah, let's move on to, to this deck. Raph Levy, uh, Matias Leverado, Luis Salvato, and Pietro Gogowski all showed up with a very interesting build of Gogari Adventure. The the deck ultimately has uses the the adventure deck adventure cards as the small card advantage early game engine mm-hmm. but ultimately this deck is a questing beast rankle vivian uh arcbo ranger strategy to beat golos and i do like where they're coming from i saw their list and i'm like ooh this does look a little scary yeah i think this deck's unreal yeah. i think i think this deck is the best deck in the tournament um uh, this is all I've been playing. Uh, I just had a PTQ last weekend. I went 8-0 in the Swiss. I unfortunately lost a team of reclamation in the top eight because if, if you look at that list, I played something close to this. I made some changes with uh, um, things that I think to evolve to the metagame. But, I mean, looking at this list, like it, you just don't have answers to that matchup. Um, but, I mean, during the Swiss, I beat Golos four times. 
I, I think it has the tools to win via haste uh, with Questing Beast and Rankle, as well as Lovestruck Beast is a nice fast clock. Um, and then you have Inevitability, and you have these kind of pseudo split cards in the form of Vivian um, and I, I guess like Murderous Rider, but Vivian especially, where it, it helps increase your clock, as well as with all the Death Touch you have in the deck in the form of Questing Beast and Falmar Knight. You can just absolutely kill any creature out of Golos that's giving you problems, aka Golos, Realm Cloak Giant, Beanstalk Giant, or Hydroid Crisis that gets big enough. And then the rest of the zombie hordes, you don't really care about because you just go over them with Questing Beast and uh, uh, Rankle. I do think this deck's very good. I, I think it also looks quite good against Golos. Mm -hmm. So I, I understand why they like. I Piotr posted on Twitter that his deck is legitimately great against Golos. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say okay. that because, like, here's what here's how I kind of felt against Golos. I feel like when I was on the play with Golgari Adventures, I was like fifty five percent to win. When I was on the draw, I felt like I was like thirty five percent to win. I really feel like it's very play dependent. But the thing I do love about Golgari Adventures, um, and I made some changes to the list, but but shouldn't shouldn't you be unfavored in the matchup if those are the odds? I mean, yeah, no, I I, <laughs> I what this is the point I'm about to make. I do think you know you are realistically not that heavily favored, but you have close game. But I I felt so favored against every other matchup. You just gain so much more value than every other deck. Um, you know, Vivian is just incredible in this deck. Death Touch and Trample is something to really be uh, uh, reckoned with here. Um, I just felt like every other matchup I just couldn't lose, and then Go um, Golos was close to slightly unfavorable. So what you're you saying? You 4-0'd it. I did 4-0 so it, and I, I think it's close. I do think it's very close, and I don't know if it's, uh, you know, what, what the facts are with me 4-0'ing it, and I, I have had very good results against it, so maybe we are more advantaged than I think because I do just beat it every time, but, you know. Well, let's so, test after this podcast. Okay, so, I, I'll deal. So what you're basically saying is that this deck is what Simic wanted to be. It is. Favored against yeah. everything else and close against 100%. I think people are 100% uh, undervaluing uh, Innkeeper as well as just Rankle and Questing Beast with Vivian. I, I think there's some bad cards in there. Like, I think Nissa is actively terrible in this deck. And I've, I'm down to one and one Garrick, but I'm realistically wanting to cut all Nissa. It's so bad against Golos. You just give away your lands when they wrath and stuff. You know, there's, there's problems with the list uh, as I see it, but I do think this deck is very good. Every time I see the card Edgewall Innkeeper, I just look at his face and I just think of the term edging. And I just I can't help <laughs> oh myself. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, moving on to another team that thought they broke yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Bant Ramp, designed by Stanislav Sivka, Martin Yuza, Gregor Skwoski, and Andre Strosky, the Czech team. Um, they brought Bant Ramp. Now this deck it looks a lot like Simic Ramp, except it doesn't have counterspells in the main. What it does have is a couple to fairies, three deputy of detention, and an agent. Um, two grazers, 26 lands, all, but everything else is very similar to just a normal um, ramp Simic deck. You know, yeah. four Oko, four Nissa, Gilded Goose, Paradise Druid, uh, Once Upon a Time. Now, I don't like it. This, I also don't really like it either. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, of course, like deputy is good but did they play internal testing because the thing about this deck is if you don't get off to that super power charge thing like nisup or oak getting your planeswalkers down and drawing a bunch of cards with crisis like you don't have the 
the four drops that punch a lot of damage. And maybe you just maybe the strategy of building a big wall and then deputing zombies and and is gonna work out. But now that I know that that's a thing, I feel like I can play somewhat around that. Yeah, for me, like I mean, I saw uh, Stanislaus or Juza Kowalski and Strosky at some point. They were like four, five, and six on the ladder. So I know they laddered with this deck and stuff, and I know they were having good results, but. To me, I don't see it. Like, I, I would much rather prefer the Simic deck uh, that the rest of our team played over this, personally. I mean, I was number three on the ladder yesterday. I mean, like Seth, yeah, yeah. Seth it's, the ladder doesn't matter. Like, when they were bragging about that, Seth and I were also in the top ten with them, and we weren't posting about it. Yeah, yeah. Wait, then it didn't happen. Then it didn't happen. Then I, Oh, then you shit. Well, I am lying fake news. <laughs> if you didn't post about it, it didn't happen. Everyone knows yeah, that. Everyone. It's just how it works. Yeah. Well, yeah. but I didn't really want to post being like, wow, super sweet tech. I'm number five, Seth's number six with stock Golos, y'all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, uh, what are you talking about? Seth did that in the E-League. He's like, yeah, I 6 0 this mother trucker. Welcome to Golos. Oh, yeah, that was nice. Um, I'm going to say one thing about uh, this deck is that I do lose to this deck. There's one uh, opening start that this deck has that I think is just utterly disgusting, and that is Grazer into Oko. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then attack for three. Turn two, you're attacking for three and have a five loyalty planeswalker that does... stupid things i mean honestly i know this isn't exactly what we're talking about but the thing that's been popping up you know as of late on the ladder is the teamer deck that plays four grazer four goose and then oh i played against that deck never lost to it once yeah i i played it i think it's bad i played it for my dropping bombs this week and i just crushed people and uh but if you don't draw that turn two planeswalker it's not that good. I, I've never, I've never beaten it with Golos. I actually think it's a really tough. Yeah, matchup. It's, it is. You've tough. never beaten the Teamer deck with Golos. I, I think I've lost. I think I'm like zero and four against it. Yeah. I'm like six or seven and zero. Oh, it's just it. so much flying. Was, it's so much evasion. Yeah, you just lose the Sarkin every single oh, time. Yeah, I, I annihilated Golos every time. I just I agent it. the zombie and start attacking it. I don't know. I've beaten it every time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I think things. A lot of things have to go right to win against that but deck. You know what? Their deck's just all flying creatures, and like we're we're weak to flying. I think Sarkin. I, I'm just going to say this right now. I don't want to say it before people submitted decks. I think Sarkin is the best card in the format against Golos, and people nobody plays that card. I mean, Gruel decks are starting to play it, and these Teamer decks are starting to play it. So people are starting Sarkin to Sarkin is on. so hard for Golos to beat, uh, it, especially if you play the Sarkin correctly. Yeah, people are, if people are minusing and making a dragon against you, they deserve to lose. Yeah. But you know just what? Just plus it. You guys don't just have plus to plus it. You don't have that. enough. That's true. <laughs> you guys yeah. don't have to deal with that. Teamer didn't make it, so let's not talk about it on this podcast. Let's go to the next matchup, that, bro. That is true. Um, so the next deck we're going to talk about is Aaron Barrett and Autumn uh, Burchette's Golos Fire deck. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to get too much into it because this is also a deck that, uh, like David Williams and a few others played, it is a variant of Golos, and I'm just going to go out on a limb and just say I think it's just a worse deck than Golos. Yes, it's favored game one, in the mirror, but I think that Golos Bant Golos catches up after Cyborg, especially those that came prepared with like disdainful strokes and negates. Yeah, I think it's much more not... inconsistent to me. I mean, playing of fires yeah. is so much high risk, but it's such it's such a risk. It's such a low ceiling and such a high or such a low floor, such a high ceiling. There's so many times in top deck wars where my opponent top decks fires when they're like handless, and it's like, okay, you lose, you know. I'm definitely not fired up about this deck, I'll tell you that much. And is that three uh, Golos? I... Yeah. Yes. Oh my. Okay, I, I want to... But, but I wanna... it correlates well with the 28 lands, right, Brian? Yeah, okay. 28 yeah. lands, three Please Golos. Let... 
Uh, okay. I want to talk about why I don't like this deck. I'm playing 30 lands and 4 once upon a time, and I still have mana issues with Golos. <laughs> this deck plays 28 lands, 0 once upon a time, 90 million drops in their deck. Like, every card in their deck is 4 plus mana, except for Grow Spiral, and like a couple Deafening Clarions. Like, th- this deck is full of nothing but expensive cards, has uh, no way to fix the mana like Once Upon a Time, and is playing less lands than the traditional Golos deck despite not having ways to find lands at the level of the other Golos decks. Yeah. Like, the consistency of this deck is as is the lowest you could possibly have, and I just don't think the power level boost is, 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 is like, commensurate with that. It also, the ways that people attack, if it's not just a hyper-aggressive deck that dies to Deafening Clarion, which exists, the ways that decks attack Bank Golos get exponentially better against Golos Fires. Yeah. Yeah, like, like, the, like the Disdainful Strokes, you're like, your opponent's like, Fires of Invention, you're like, all right, stroke it. Or they or they have a Fire of Invention, and the next turn they're like, use Fae of Wishes to get a card from my sideboard, cast, like, whatever, you know, Planar Cleansing, and they're just like, all right, stroke your Planar Cleansing, like, you just time-walked yourself into a stroke. Yeah, you know, I, think, like, I think Autumn and uh, uh, Aaron Barich are going to look at the Simic food deck from the rest of our team and just be like, oh, no, what have we done, you know? That would be my opinion, but... I, I, I agree with every point made about it. Well, I mean, everyone that's playing Ghost Fires thinks that they're favored in the mirror, and I do believe that is true against weaker opponents. And But when I played Fires versus Vant um, in targeted testing within the team, it felt extremely even because the game, get, after Cyborg, um, Vant Golos was just catching up a lot of those wins. Yeah. So I think I went like 3-1 in pregame it was only a small set it was like 10 games but like the games take forever mm-hmm. and you get to see a lot of how the games play out because they go so long um so you can extrapolate a lot of information from that but after cyborg like it was like you know 3-1 in favor of goalless fires game one six three or something um in bands favor or maybe like five two or i don't remember exactly what the stats sure. were but it was somewhere around that where it became kind of even and I just saw disgusting turns where it's like if you get off to the ramp stuff and you and they don't have a securitus route but they play their their fires you're just like yoink that play a golos and like that's just disturbingly wow good. I didn't think about yeah. that can I make one more point about this uh, golos fire stack huh. so one thing I think a lot of people notice about when they play this deck is when they win it feels like they're untouchable, right? Because they're play fires, they play these free spells that are so much more powerful than anything. They're casualties of warring people and they just feel unbeatable. But people don't really notice when they lose to the deck, they're like, oh, this was just a bad draw. But it's just like, you're drawing these cards, you're drawing a second fires or, you know, you're not hitting your land drops because you're playing lower lands and stuff. And people don't really notice when they draw the worst half of their deck as much as when they go over the top of other Golos deck. Yeah, yeah. I mean... To be fair, an argument to the deck, Brian and I submitted it for fandom, knowing it wasn't as good as Bant Golos, but we didn't want to uh, play Bant Golos in fandom and show how we cyborg our deck and stuff. Yeah, I, fig- and, I figured that what, what, is, what it was. And I, I just still took second. And I think I threw away a game in the finals. <laughs> I still annihilated people with this deck. Yeah, yeah, I lost in top eight to, like, uh, Piotr's meme deck. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, classic. Brad lost to him in the Swiss. Yeah, I, I, I want to say uh, one last thing about this deck is that the, even the sideboard cards are actually not that powerful. 
Um, like a lot of times you're using Fae of Wishes to get a time wipe. You could just have a time wipe in your deck. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, or like, you know, you're using it to get like a lot of these cyborg cards. Like, like if you look at the cyborg for this deck, like none of them are really that powerful. There's one exception and that is Chance for Glory is that disgusting. That card's messed up. Chance for Glory will win you games that that do not even look like your opponent has more zombies than you and you have like an anemic board and you just get Chance for Glory and they do die. I will. Yeah. Um, and, that, oh. and that card, that card's really, really sick. But uh, beyond that, like you have options in your board, and so you have you have versatility when you're doing like the Fey Fires thing. Uh, but sometimes your opponent can just power through it. It doesn't yeah. like I do it all the time with Bant Golos. Mm-hmm. I will say one card that is insanely effective that I actually lose to, and once again, um, I've been really on this green black adventure side. But Casualty of War, whenever they can get a planes like my Nissa plus a land and like a big creature, I've lost a Casualty of War a lot. That's the only thing that I've noticed is like the really sweet thing. But you know, yeah, you know casual- what card I've lost to a lot in the sideboard. Uh, Agent of Treachery. Yeah, yeah. When they board it in. Yeah, yeah when they board it in and steal my land. Yeah. When they become a normal Golos deck by yeah. boarding it yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but when you look at like plane wide celebration, you look at Prison Realm, Unmoored Ego, you know, I mean, these cards just nickel bolus, like sure, whatever, but I'm with you guys. I, I, I think just doing the bad Golos thing seems much safer and much more consistent. Yeah. Like, this deck might be slightly ahead in a match against Bankolos, and I would believe that, and I'm not going to argue against it, but I just think the ways that people exploit Bankolos just are going to be too good for these decks. I think that their win percentage against the rest of the field is going to be hurting because of this, because everyone's going to have to stable stroke, and they don't have ways to protect against that. They're just going to have to run right into the card. Yeah, nope. Yeah, and when they, when they have, like, Deafening Clarion as their sweeper of choice. <laughs> yeah. And they're playing against uh, Gruul, they're going to regret it. And, like, yeah, sometimes uh, sometimes they can use Fires to cast a Time Wipe, but if they don't have Fires in their hand, uh, their mana base is not really set up to cast no. Time Wipe. So. I agree. Well, let's uh, let's chat about uh, the, the duo of Javier Dominguez and Andrea Mangucci. Brad, what did they bring to the table? They brought two different decks, which blew my yes. mind because they always play the same. No decks. kidding, they're like, uh, they're like, you know, they're basically like questing beasts. Except I don't know who the third head is, but yeah. Well, this time around it was Lishi Chan. I oh, think I think the three of them tested. I'll tell together. you about the third head. So <laughs> go on. All right. Go on, so <laughs> so Javier Dominguez played Gruel Agro. Looks pretty good. Deck looks pretty sweet. Has two, three Collision Colossus, two Ember Cleave to fight. Um, all of the Golos decks, very haste driven with Paradise Druid, even Crawl Harpooner Main, which is interesting. I guess that that you know is good in mirror matches, gets rankle and stuff. I that guess that card seems heinous to me, but one card I do like is Collision Colossus. But yeah, but a lot of the all the Gruelists that I've been, a lot of, like so I played against the same person on the ladder repeatedly, and they just were crapping on me with Gruel. Um, it was one of the people who was in one of the previous arena tournaments. I can't remember their. Uh, I can't remember their MTGA uh, username, but well, I, you I weren't there for so long. You were just there for a couple hours, so well, I, that that makes sense. Hey, B- hey, BBD, at least you made it to the <laughs> tournament, bud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> hey, I wasn't there just there for a couple hours. I was there for all weekend. I only played for a couple of hours, but I sat around in my misery for a very long yeah, time. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, that opponent was playing a combination of Collision Colossus and Domri's Ambush. And those two spells in unison were extraordinarily powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of- so I remember you telling me about that game. It's like I was at seventeen; they had one thing, and I died. Yeah, no, I was at, I was at five life, and my opponent had Zerta Goblin, and I had a seven seven Realm Cloak Giant. 
uh two zombies and a golos in play and die the next turn they not even to like not even to like getting cheap like not even to getting like a flyer or anything it was just they went collision colossus my zerta followed by double domri's ambush killed my two massive creatures and then trampled over my zombies and one shot me i want to say one thing about this girl deck i think it is a bit of a mistake to play a deck where you need to curve out and gruel needs to curve out even Golgari Adventures is an aggressive deck, but if you play Innkeeper on turn five, it's it's still good. If you play Pelt Collector on turn five, it's not good. I really think Javier Dominguez is going to regret his choice personally, but uh, I, I would be happy to eat my words on that because I love Javier and I want to see him do it well, but I would uh, I would not expect this deck to go very far. Yeah, I, I can never, I, can, I can't get behind Gruel. I've said it for years yeah. now. I just, mid-range aggressive decks that have no way of catching back up are just decks I don't want to play. I just don't want to play mid-range aggressive decks like this. I don't want... The deck has one drops and five drops with no real way to keep it all together besides, like, three Paradise Druids. Mm-hmm. And like you said, if you don't draw the things at the right times, things can hurt. If you don't hit the right mana, like, yeah. I've I've seen so many people have, like, four forests and a mountain in play and have Skargon Hellkites in hand. Yeah. And, or, you know, or have all mountains and not have mana for Questing Beasts. Like, the mana's bad. You have to curve. It's just not a deck that I like. And also, I do think that this deck, because of how, how aggressive it is, is favored against Golos. If it not draws. But, yeah. and but I, I think, think it's just, just straight just favored. Mathematically, yeah. I just think mathematically, if you played 10,000 games between Gruul and Golos, or you took all that data, it would be ahead by like 4%, 54 to 46 or whatever. Something like that, sure. yeah. One thing I want to point out to everybody listening <laughs> and that can't see the list, I think Once Upon a Time in this deck is actively pretty bad, but if you look at the land count, it's 10 forests, 9 mountains, 4 stomping grounds. That mana base is heinous. You have to play Once Upon a Time just to cast your spells, and that's not a place I want to be at in the standard format. I will say one thing, though. Brad, you're talking about how you you, you don't like doing the 1 into 5 thing. There were a couple... There were, there were two situations where 1 into 5, uh, playing a 1-drop and also a 5-drop in the same deck and trying to curve out... There are two uh, two decks I can remember where that was a gasser. Number one, Aether? Warden of the First. Oh. <laughs> no, Warden of the Warden of the First Tree into Wingmate Rock. Now that was a gas. Oh, that deck. was gas. And number two, this is even better. Monastery Swift Spear into End Hostilities. <laughs> <laughs> Brad played that at a pro tour. Monastery Swift Spear curving into End Hostilities. Wait, what does End Hostilities even do? It's, it's a, a five mana wrath. What the hell? Okay, yes. okay, okay. I'm telling the story. I eventually it eventually turned into a Mardu deck, but because it was right when the format was new, I built a red white hyper aggressive strategy that boarded into a control deck. And it was very effective. But he um, left his one drops in after boarding into a control deck. So he's like he's like, all right, monster Swiss Spear hit you for three. Hit you for three. All right, wrath. Like, so I only kept in a few a few aggressive cards. I had to keep in a few in certain matchups because certain removal wasn't good. Also, I was playing against Seth, but I didn't know it was Seth at the time. Uh, I knew it was a good player, but I didn't know. Going back, I didn't know that the match that was on camera was against Seth. But we go to game three or two or whatever. I don't remember. But so the, the sideboard had three different Planeswalkers, and it was like a Chain to the Rocks aggressive strategy game one. And then after sideboard, you had Glare of Heresy, these Planeswalkers, and then Hostility. And uh, it just completely transitioned. And this was before open deck lists. Um, but yes, there was a camera match where it switched over to me and my graveyard was a monastery swift spear mm-hmm. 
a Titan Strength, which is effectively, it was plus three, plus one in Scry one. And an N Hostilities. And the coverage is like, what the hell? And I had three Planeswalkers in play and like, they were all ticking up. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a pretty solid limited deck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was hey, really we good, all went 7-3. We all went 7-3 at a Pro Tour. The deck it, also was designed to absolutely dismantle one of the bigger decks in the format. That's fair. All right, well, fair. what did you play during the constructed rounds, though? I know, I know you drafted that. I mean, I, 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 personally, <laughs> I personally found drafting four-color to be best in Konzatark here, but I guess you drafted a two-color deck, so... I'll bold. Yes, know. thank you. All right, moving on to Andrea Mangucci's Banned Food deck. This deck is a little bit more aggressive. Yeah. Um, it plays two Once Upon a Time, 24 lands, um, eight Man Acceleration creatures, the Oko, Nissa, No Teferi, but then also plays four Quest and Beast, four Wicked Wolf, and four Deputy Detention. Ooh. Now, maybe this deck is good, maybe not. These are the kind of strategies that really, if they don't, if they don't do their like Oko Nissa thing, I don't feel like they're advantaged, even with Deputies and Questing Beasts and Wicked Wolves. Like, yeah. I just don't think they're that good against Bant. You know, I, I no think this deck of... looks better than uh, the Gruel deck for sure. Um, but if it looks better than the Simic Ramp deck with four main Disdainful Stroke, that's another question. But, I mean, if we look at Andrea's sideboard as well, he has four strokes. So post-board, I mean, if you have four Deputy, four strokes, Nissa, Oko, a way to ramp into it, I, I like this deck. I think it looks good. Wait. I love it, too. I love it. He's going to do all this stuff, and then I'm going to steal a Nissa, and I'm just going to crush it. I mean, and then he strokes Wait. it, dude. Wait, wait, hold on. Andrea's had four strokes, and he's still playing in the tournament? <laughs> that man is a champion. <laughs> We don't we don't hope anybody has strokes here. We hope people disdainful strokes things as long as it's not disdainful stroking BVD or my brother. Yeah. 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 But on a real note, I I think this deck does look really good. I think four questing beast, four wicked wolf is really nice because, you know, whatever matchup wicked wolf is good, questing beast is okay. Um any matchup where wicked wolf is bad, you get to immediately side it out for four disdainful strokes like I I think this deck looks pretty sweet. I like this better than the other Bant deck. Yeah, of course, of course. I think Teferi is kind of a trap right now outside of Golos to return your own Golos before you Wrath of God, to re return Agent before you do your thing. I, I actively think Teferi is not that good of a card if you're not doing it with your Wrath strategies. Yeah, I, I actually think this deck looks uh, looks pretty decent. I, I It has a lot of... Uh, it has a lot of anti-Golos measures. You know, it has mm -hmm. the... Deputies in the main deck, Questing Beasts in the main deck, Disdainful Strokes in the sideboard. Like, it, it just it has so much anti-Golo stuff. But, like, the thing is, is if you don't get out to that pressure start with Nissa or Oko or, uh, or Questing Beasts, like, or if they deal with one of those, the, you know, if you're banking on that card and it gets dealt with by Golos, you're left with all these reactive cards. Golos preys on decks trying to react to I mean, it. this is a so. deck where you have to aggressively mulligan in the in the Golos matchup to one of those things, or you just lose. You can't be reactive against Golos, aka Field of the Dead, and expect to win. So, I mean, you know, sure, they might have mulliganed the, themselves into Oblivion, but they're going to mulligan aggressively. Look, the thing about decks like this, and the reason why I think that Golos is favored in all these matchups, even though people might disagree with me, is that you have to check a lot of boxes when you play against Golos. You have to have a good start. You have to play a good Planeswalker. You have to have or have your Questing Beast. You have to have a defensive measure to interact with a turn. And then you have to have a follow-up. Mm -hmm. And and if you if one of these boxes isn't checked, Golos is pretty straightforward, and it has a couple protective elements. 
And and you can, especially in perfect information, you can craft your deck to the way you need it to be. So Golos kind of is like mulligan to get my ramp. All right, I have my ramp. And then you have to hit all of these spots. There's many times that, you know, somebody draws too many Nissas or Okos, and while they're getting a board position, I'm going to take over. Yeah. And there's times where people draw too many reactive cards. Like, I've, I played a lot with Bant decks, and I was like, maybe Bant decks are really good. And I just opened a hand that I had to mulligan that was just two deputy detentions of Disdainful Stork and four lands. I'm like, this is hot garbage. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I have the cards that are designed for this matchup, and that's just not how Magic works anymore, because the thing that Magic cares about is card advantage and interaction. But the thing about Golos is it doesn't need to, to be designed to build too much interaction into it because its core strategy interacts. Yeah, and I will say that yeah. Disdainful Stroke having a four of, I mean, if I just look at this list, even if I look at the Simic Ramp deck from the rest of your team, what do they do to a, a Teferi once it lands? Like, you feel real silly with a bunch of Disdainful Strokes in your hand then. That happens sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you play like a Teferi into play yeah. and then they can't counter anything. Yep. You play Questing Beast. Yeah, you play Questing Beast, yeah. but Teferi does tick up to five in those matchups. And then after they Questing Beast, you know, Wrath, Golos, whatever. You know, I mean, you you Teferi goes to a convenient five instead of four. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's go to the next one. All right, well, the there's not much left um, that's super interesting. We're not going to go through all the bank Golos. There's people that played 28 lands. There's people that played a Mountain in the main. I don't know why. There's people that played two Kenras. Interesting. But we're not going to spend time on that. I just have some honorable mentions before we're done today. Okay. Um, I just want to say honorable mention to Ken Yukihiro for playing Mardu, Knights, and Dinosaurs. Always playing something spicy. I mean, Ken is Ken He's... is never going to submit the best deck. I, I'm a firm believer he will always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ken is always going to submit a giant piece of garbage. He'll never submit something but good. But he yeah. always does good with them, you know? I mean, if you want a spice candidate, it will always be Ken. But Ken is not going to play the team or energy, not what the Golos. did Ken play at Mythic Championship 3? Um, I forgot. Championship 3. I don't know, but he was like the first to one? do mono blue. He played uh, He played a... Um, didn't he play the red-white deck? Or was that maybe Ray? The, I thought that was that, Ray. I thought... Oh, yeah. I think Ken played a Simic. Uh, didn't he play like the Simic? Yeah, uh, some kind of Simic deck. And I mean, yeah. at Worlds, I think it was, Ken played Mono Blue and was like the first person to play that before Mythic Championship won. At that time, the deck was just like, what? You're you're playing that in a field of red-black oh, aggro? Yeah. And then Mono Blue actually got good after red-black aggro was uh, destroyed, but... Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I want to say that I'm I'm proud of Ken Yukihiro for carrying on the tradition of the X and X na- you know naming convention. You know it started with it started with uh, green, white, and red wolves and angels yes. <laughs> from the Avacyn Restored Pro Tour, otherwise known as Naya Humans, but that's not what Watsi called it. They called it green, white, and red wolves and angels. Yes. Uh, so here we got we have uh, we have a uh, black, red, and white. Knights and dinos, and dinosaurs. Yeah. I would say, oh, and I and love dinosaurs. this mana. This mana is wild. We're not going to get into how wild this mana base is, <laughs> yeah. but it is wild. For example, if he wants to cast a cast a legion's end, he has exactly eleven sources <laughs> <And> he, <laughs> to cast this. And he card. has exactly four legions end. <laughs> yeah, and noxious grass and angry. And I think the rampant. I think the craziest thing about this is he's playing not one but eight equipments. Eight pieces of equipment. That is absurd to me. 
Oh yeah, no, he he gonna make he, he gonna make those boys. Big. Yeah, fervent champion. Oh, just a one-one. Not for long, son. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you a question. Rotting registrar base base power seven. Mm-hmm. Steel claw lance attached to it. Base base power nine. Ember cleave base power ten and double strike. That's twenty damage, hey, baby. You better hope you have a call the Illuminati. Oh, you better hope that you got a Thornwood Falls, boys. That you guys are getting twenty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The Just, next the next honorable mention is Greg Orange had some of the tech that we were trying to make work and keep yep. secret, which was. Uh, he's playing Bancolos with Finale of Devastation, two in the main. Now, we never really just tried to put it in the deck. Maybe we should have. We had yeah. it for, like, face sideboard stuff. So you guys tried to keep right. it secret even from yourself? You just never tried it? <laughs> yeah, we did, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. But a two main deck Finale of Devastation. Now, what this is going to do for people that don't know is they once... Wouldn't, they wouldn't let me test with it on the ladder, and so it just never got tested. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we thought it was so good that it was going to break it, but then we forgot about it. Yeah. Um, so what Finale of Devastation does for, for Greg is if you play it for 12 mana, that means X is 10, which which gives you the all your creatures gives plus 10 plus 10 in haste. Um, and if he does it for equals 10 or more, he can go get a deputy and exile the opponent's zombies, and all of his zombies are now 12-12 or bigger. And if, you know, one or two of them connect, it's probably game over. <laughs> and so um, that's a really cool plan. It's worse. That, that card is pretty bad in other matchups. It also allows him to, you know, seven mana can get him a Golos. Yeah. Um, yep. Stuff like that. So it's not dead. You could pay three mana to go get a Grazer if you really wanted to. Yeah. And that that's could the, get That's a not the worst. Yeah. It's not the worst, no. Sometimes that's ramp, that'll ramp you into a turn uh, turn four Golos or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. So th- that that's pretty cool. And the other just like, you know, no fucks given was David Williams, Golos Fires with two main deck unmoored ego. He's just like, Golos everywhere, I'm taking your cards. It's realistic. Yep. And honestly, I mean, as far as the prediction goes for this tournament, you guys know, uh, and all of you all, all know out there, what is my favorite deck? And I, I think Golgari Adventures is is up there with the best decks. But as far as the Golos versions, I really like what you guys did. Just no bullshit. Just play the stock deck and, you know, it, not really deal with variants. Now, we're going to see occasionally, I bet these players that play this off-the-wall stuff are going to win some games, some matches, whatever, with this cool flashy effect. But honestly, if I can look into the future, I would assume that the more stock lists are just going to go further in tournaments because they're just not playing these high variance cards. Could be, but we know. will not find out until this weekend. Yep. Um that's all I got for today, though. Anyone else need anything to add? No, I think that's it for me. I just want to formally say good luck to you, boys. I'm going to be uh, rooting for you. It sucks that you guys have to play day one of this tournament. That seems way worse than going straight to day two. Yeah, and for Brad, he doesn't even always play the first day oh, anyway. So. Hey, oh. oh, thank you And that's you for our that, third Ryan. one. We hit our quota of Barcelona jokes. Yeah. Stay tuned for next week for uh, more <laughs> Barcelona dig. <laughs> that is very true. No, thank you so much, Brian, for being the special guest on our beloved podcast. Yeah, you, you know what you said? Uh, anyone have anything more to add? I, I don't, but I do have some things that I wish I could take back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Bash Bros Podcast. Again, if you would like to listen to this on one of our platforms, we are on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Also, our Patreon is currently down, but it will be coming up in the next couple of weeks with additional new things added to it. So look for that soon. Oh, it's spicy, We'll be posting too. about it. It's spicy. Please follow us on Twitter at Bash Bros Podcast for all updates on the uh, podcast itself, but also updates from us. 
during our tournaments and all of our wild days. That would be nice. But until next week, that's all I got. So wish us good luck at the Mythic Championship. And we are going to try to hashtag be the champion. And I'm going to hashtag sit on the couch. And I'm going to hashtag see the champion. Win the tournament from the sidelines. <laughs> see you, everyone.